When I was a five-year-old child, I spent a lot of time in drug houses, trap houses and drug dens. A drug house, also called a trap house or drug den, is a residence used in the illegal drug trade. Drug houses shelter drug users and provide a place for drug dealers to supply them. Drug houses can also be used as laboratories to synthesize, cook drugs, or cache ingredients and products. The strongest industry in some urban areas is the illegal drug trade. Abandoned buildings ravaged by arson or neglect are utilized by drug dealers since they are free, obscure, secluded, and there is no paper trail in the form of rent receipts. The sale of illegal drugs often draws violent crime to afflicted neighborhoods, sometimes exacerbating the exodus of residents. In some cases, enraged citizens have burned crack houses to the ground in hopes that by destroying the sites for drug operations, they'd also drive the illegal industries from their neighborhoods. Many major American urban areas contain crack houses. So all these things were my experiences as a five-year-old child. And I was forced to sell drugs to drug users within these drug houses. And all I can say is all these drug houses had all the Sin City activities that you can think of. Also, as a five-year-old child, I spent a lot of time in, in brothels, bordellas, ranches, and whorehouses. A brothel, bordello, ranch, or whorehouse is a place where people engage in sexual activity with prostitutes. However, for legal or cultural reasons, establishments often describe themselves as massage parlors, bars, strip clubs, body rub parlors, studios, or by some other description. Sex work in a brothel is considered safer than street uh, prostitution. And as a child, I was forced to sell drugs within the brothels. And... Everything sincere that you can think of occurred at these brothels. And um, within these brothels, There were people running it. 
it's called procuring or pandering that I saw when I was five. I also was exposed to procurers, pimps, madams, and brothel keepers. Procuring or pandering is the facilitation or provision of a prostitute or other sex worker in the arrangement of a sex act with a customer. A procurer, colloquially called a pimp, if male or a madam and female, though the term pimp has still extensively been used for female procurers as well, or a brothel keeper, is an agent for prostitutes who collects parts of their earnings. The procurer may receive this money in return for advertising services, physical protection, or for providing and possibly monopolizing a location where the prostitute may solicit clients. Like prostitution, the legality of certain actions of a madam or a pimp vary from one region to the next. Examples of procuring include trafficking a person into a country for the purpose of soliciting sex, operating a business where prostitution occurs, transporting a prostitute to the location near arrangement, deriving financial gain from the prostitution of another. So I experienced all those things when I was five years old. And sometimes they used the drugs within the drug houses and the brothels after I would sell it to them. As a child, I was often um, spending a lot of time in after-hours clubs. Now, after-hours club, also known as after-hours club, and after-hour club is a nightclub that is open past the designated curfew closing time for clubs that serve alcohol, which is often an hour long. Um, in North America, after-hours clubs are typically small venues for professional musicians and entertainers to perform after their main gigs and patrons seek entertainment after their evening's main event. So I was snuck into those places during um, after hours time. Um, How they did it, it was the criminals. They had a way of making sure that when I was taken from mother's apartment by them in a car, it was very quiet. And they would bring me back um, in a time where I was still getting enough sleep where I could go to school. This happened sometimes. It wasn't um, super often, but it happened at least 20 times. Maybe a more, but... but my memory, it says at least 20, but it could have been more in terms of how many times that happened. Now, at these after-hours clubs, just like the drug houses and the brothels, I would sell drugs at these places, you know, the after-hours club, the drug houses and the brothels. I would run numbers at the drug houses, the brothels, and the after-hours clubs. So let me say it so no one's confused. 
I was forced to sell drugs or numbers at the after hours clubs, the drug houses, and the brothels. And also at these after hours clubs, the brothels, and the drug houses, I would be raped at these places. And uh, the criminals would take me to these places. And um, at the after hours clubs I was in, they served alcohol, um, past the designated time, and they would, and they had special permission to remain open to customers, and they would sell alcohol, um highly caffeinated drinks and non-alcoholic sodas and juices and water and lemonade and tea, cranberry juice, orange juices. Typical restaurant type of drinks. Um, And at these places, you know, at these after-hours clubs and drug house and brothels, they all had alcohol, drugs, Tobacco smoking products, people smoking marijuana and the tobacco smoking products. It could be, it was cigars, cigarettes and pipes. And there were hardcore drugs used at all these three places too. And so, yeah, I was at these places where people partied and people danced. Um... And there's more entertainment that happened at all these three places that I saw as a child. At these places, there was storytelling, there was music, there was drama, there was dance. There was um, fun and laughter, amusement, satire, uh, video games. People were being theatrical. These places were uh, like had music and it was its own concerts. People were cooking and um, people were um, watching films and movies, documentaries and um, people watching television shows. It was a place of recreation and leisure. That's what happened in all these three places. And of course, Sin City activities happen in all three places. All three places, again, are the after-hours clubs, the drug houses, and the brothels. So that's what happened. And um, I saw all these things when I was five years old. And... um, When I was five years old, I was at the, um, I, I was inside opium dens. Opium dens, like the after-hours clubs, drug houses, and the brothels. Sin City activities and typical entertainment, all the entertainment I said just uh, a a few seconds ago, all the same things happened at the opium dims, like the other three places I told you about. 
And I was selling opium to people, and an opium den was an establishment or establishments in which opium is sold and smoked. So people were smoking um, opium. There was the usage of opium pipes and oil lamps. Um, the opium dims in particular, they they kept a supply of opium per- paraphernalia such as the pipes and lamps that were necessary to smoke the drug. Patrons would recline to hold the long opium pipes over oil lamps that would heat the drug until it vaporized, allowing the smoker to inhale the vapor. So, yeah, one of the drugs I sold was opium. And so um, I was made to spend a lot of time in those places. And then... I I spent a lot of time at weed spots, uh, places to buy and smoke marijuana. They would buy the weed and smoke smoke it, um, because one of the one of my one of the products that I would sell was marijuana. I was selling street marijuana recreational marijuana, medicinal marijuana. And so I was the weed dealer for many people. And when it came to like the drug houses the op- and the opium dims and the after hours club, I was the crack cocaine dealer for many people. I was the powder cocaine dealer for many people. I was the heroin dealer for many people. I was the PCP dealer for many people. I was the acid dealer for many people. I was the speedball dealer for many people. And many people overdosed on the drugs that I was forced to sell. Uh, I was the alcohol dealer for many people. I was the cigarette dealer for many people. I was the cigar dealer for many people. I was the tobacco pipe dealer for many people, so they would smoke it. Um, I was the LSD dealer for many people. I was the crystal meth dealer for many people. I, I remember I was the prescription drugs dealer for many people. I I was a propofol dealer for many people. Uh, I was the painkiller dealer for many people. I was the ibuprofen dealer for many people. I was the uh, Allegra dealer for many people. I was the he- I was the headache pill dealer for many people. I was the um I was the Avril, um, I was the Avril dealer for many people too. Yeah. I was the Ivermectin dealer for many people. I was the Set Terazine dealer for many people. I was the Dextromethorphan, dextro 
Methorphin dealer for many people. I was that. I was the Phenolethrine dealer for many people. I was the core. I was the chlorphenramine dealer for many people. I was the acetaminophen dealer for many people. I was the anal analgesic analgesic dealer for many people um I was the vax I was the flu vaccine dealer for many people I was the measles vaccine dealer for many people too um I was the Yeah, it was just... I was the, um... I was just... Dealing so many drugs... Against my will. I was the anesthetic dealer for many people. I was the sleep. Sleeping medication dealer for many people. Um... I would give I was the sleeping pills dealer for many people. And um another thing was um I was I was the laced weed marijuana laced with LSD coke and heroin dealer for many people. I was the mixing cocaine and alcohol dealer for many people as well. None of these things are worthy of glorification. All of these things are worthy of condemnation. And yes, I was selling methamphetamines to a lot of people as a child. And um, one of the places that I spent a lot of time in were uh, meth labs. Um, Let me talk about what meth labs are like. Um, it was 
People were typically cooking meth in pots on the stoves or in the microwaves. The method is known as the shake and bake method. Allows individuals to shake bottles made of ingredients to make meth. As a result, they create highly damaging effects that can be fatal to the users, which which did happen to other people in the vicinity, which did happen. The demand for methamphetamine or meth can cause someone to crave it so deeply they manufacture it in meth labs in their home or cars. Many individuals also cook meth not only for their own supply, but often so that they can sell it and make money to support their habit as well. Meth labs are makeshift meth labs are makeshift laboratories people use to manufacture and create meth. Such labs are popping up to accommodate users' need for meth at alarming rates. Um, these labs, the ones I went to. Were in apartments, houses, sheds, hotels, motels, most commonly in the kitchen, the drug dens, um, and some people are even using their vehicles as meth labs. Um, the meth labs I went to were also found in the jungle, the forest, and other remote areas because of the lure of seclusion. Um, yeah. Uh, this is just all fucked up what happened to me. So I was in crystal meth labs a lot. Um, and I want to say that as for the women I was having affairs with, um, there was no sexual racism no sexual queerphobia and no sexual misogyny. Those three things I experienced in organized crime. And those were sex, the trauma doctrines people, organized crime persons applied to sex and sexuality. And basically, when I was in organized crime, the, the criminals tried to turn me into a Count Dracula Frankenstein boogeyman monster or the or the untrained undomesticated untamed animal. They tried to turn me into that. They tried to turn me into the type of zoo animal. And, you know, they tried to turn me basically into an animal in badly in need of a cage. Badly in need of a leash. A raging pit bull, sparking, screaming dog. And that's what consistently occurred to me. Um, as for the women I was having affairs with, let me get back to that. I had to finish my organized crime stuff. So let me say this. As for the women I was having affairs with, um, there were times where we genuinely tried to stay away from each other. There were times when we genuinely tried to not be around each other, not message each other, not, you know, 
call each other up and those type of things. But we genuinely felt like we couldn't help it because when you're used to genuine niceness and genuine kindness and there's no ulterior motives behind it, that can be extremely attractive, especially for people who are doing their best to heal and doing their best to be gentle to themselves. But we were both unhealed, so we would have the type of sex that you see in movie sex scenes and television sex scenes. It's no joke. That was how much niceness and kindness that we found each other irresistible. It was like, I was always single. I've been always single. Clearly they weren't. And being around them, it was like, we would tell each other, if one of us tried to make the first move, we would stop each other. And then after a while, it became so excruciatingly difficult not to express our um, appreciation, our fondness of one another as human beings, that the sex would just happen. Sometimes in the middle of sex, we would try to stop out, and then we just felt like we couldn't take anymore. We just had the sex. It was... Um, it, it, that happened. Um, I'm not excusing any of it. I'm not endorsing any of it. I'm not promoting any of it. I'm not glorifying any of it. I'm not advertising any of this. But I'm giving y'all more insight on how an unhealed, traumatized mind works. The inner workings, the outer workings that are attached to fresh wounds. You know, the wounds have been there for years. It always still feels like fresh wounds because the scabs of the soul. There was no bandages or no surgeries happening to them, metaphorically speaking. So a lot of people would say, are you bitter or malicious toward them? I would say neither. Do you find it easy to forgive them? Actually, I do. Um, I think they find it easy to for- to forgive me. And I do think... I know that they're not malicious nor better towards me because nothing we said or done was about intentional, purposeful hurt and harm. It was, I genuinely mean you well. I want to be appropriate with you. I want to be wise with you. I want to show wisdom and appropriateness with you, but... I don't know how, and so that's how those things occurred. And there's more I'm gonna share tomorrow, so stay tuned.